those of you that are visiting today, um, that's my wife. And I just noticed as we were standing here, she has grown four inches in like less than 24 hours. There it is right there. And I was like, who is this woman? You know, I mean, she just really went up there big time. Well, uh, welcome to the Jarvis. So glad that you're here today. Uh, a few years ago, I uh, took my two youngest daughters swimming by myself, uh, which was a feat unto itself. And my oldest daughter, Jordan, was four, and my youngest daughter, Shiloh, was two at the time. And I was getting all the towels and bathing suits all ready and getting ready to get them dressed. And I looked at my oldest daughter, Jordan, and I just asked her, I said, well, uh, sweetheart, do you want to wear the the pink one, the pink swimsuit, or do you want to wear the blue one? And she said, Dad, I don't care. I just want the one that Shiloh's going to wear. (laughs) So today, that's what we're going to talk about, envy. And envy is one of those things that hits all of us at different places. And together, we're going to look at how I believe it is universal and it's secret, and it's one of the deadliest of sins, the sin of envy. Now, envy began uh, in the very first family. Adam and Eve are on the scene, and then they have two sons, one named Cain, and the other one is named Abel. And Cain gets jealous of Abel, and he kills him. There are only four people on planet Earth at this time, and in the midst of that, we find one gets wiped out. And the first murder that ever happens on planet Earth takes place because of envy. Now, there are other things that get a lot more press, like murder or adultery or stealing. But it really is, I've found, maybe the greatest weapon of mass destruction for families and churches and businesses is envy. And it can kill the satisfaction in your life that God wants to give to you. Now, today we're going to look at a guy named Solomon. Uh, We've been looking at this the past couple of weeks. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He uh, was considered the most wealthiest king ever of Israel. And he was a very wise man. And we've been looking at his book called Ecclesiastes, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And as we've been going through this, as we look at chapter 4 today, one of the things that we find is that he wants to find out about what causes the root of envy. What causes envy? So I can imagine that if you're a king, you probably have a palace, and if you have a palace, you have a porch, and Solomon is there, and he's walking out on his porch, and you're at a high place so you can see the city below you, and as you're looking out at the city, he starts noticing that there are all these people that are walking around, and they're talking with each other, and some people are buying goods and services. There's communication that's going on. They're watching all of this, or he's watching all of this, and he comes to this thought, what drives people? Like, what drives them? What motivates them? What is it that gets a person to wake up in the morning and to go about trying to be successful and to achieve something in that day? What is it? And since he's the wisest person in the world at that time, I can imagine that there were many people that came to him as well. And they would be asking different questions. And they would bring grievances to him. And they would talk about their frustrations and their anger and people who had wounded them. And he started thinking, like, what is it? What causes these wounds? What would it look like? And he discovers something. And we're going to discover it today in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. Solomon speaking, he says these words. And I say that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's, what's the next word? Envy of another. 
This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So Solomon's like, you know, you know what drives people? You know what motivates people? You know what gets people up in the morning to go through life and to have achievement and success and to work hard? It's one thing. Envy. It's envy. Now in our day, uh, we get words confused a lot. And I want us to understand what envy is and what it isn't. And so we're going to look at three different words this morning. Uh, Envy, covet, and jealousy. Now the first word that I want us to look at is the word covet. Um, And uh, this is uh, a word that means yearnings or longings. That's what the word covet means. Now, covet is one of the Ten Commandments that God gives to us. And in Exodus chapter 20, it says this. Do not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's spouse or your neighbor's male or female servant or your neighbor's ox or donkey. You are not to covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let me ask you, you ever covet something of your neighbor's? They pull up with a brand new boat. You see that thing, you're like, that should be my boat. (laughs) Right? Or you see them get a new motorcycle, and you're like, oh, man, if I had a Harley hog like that, that would be it. See, for some of us, we covet what our neighbor has. We have a desire to have what they have. But covet is different from this word jealous. To be jealous means this. To be vigilant in guarding something that belongs to you. To be vigilant in something that belongs to you. You cannot be jealous of something that does not belong to you. Let me say that again. You cannot be jealous of something that does not belong to you. You can be jealous of your spouse's time. My wife Jennifer can be jealous of my attention. But I can't be jealous of my neighbor's car because my neighbor doesn't belong to me. The final song that we sang in that opening set uh, has some words in it that are kind of unique, especially for people who maybe have connected here for the first time. The song says, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree. And you think of that phrase, he is jealous for me, and you think, ugh, that doesn't sound quite right. Like, how could God be jealous? Doesn't make sense. Unless what God is jealous of belongs to him. You see, God can be jealous of his children, he can be jealous of his church, because both of those things belong to him. But we can't be jealous of something that doesn't belong to us. And finally, for our word of the day, the word envy. Envy. Envy is very similar to covet. And when we're envious, we have this hidden motivator of resentment, and we can't stand it. We can't hardly believe that someone else would have something more than or better than us. And so we have this feeling of like a cancer inside us that it's eating at us because we want what they have so badly. And here's our definition for envy. Envy is when you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and you ignore God's goodness in your own life. When you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and you ignore God's goodness in your own life. In our text today, Solomon is saying that the reason that people get up to go to work in the morning and to have success is they want to have a little bit more than their neighbor. I just want a little bit more. I read a fascinating uh, survey this week. They surveyed uh, folks and they asked them this question. They said, would you rather, li- would you rather uh, earn $75,000, but you live in a neighborhood where everybody around you makes 100000 Or would you rather make 65000 
and live in a neighborhood where everybody only makes 55000 70% of the people surveyed said they'd rather make less money and be around people that made less than them. Think about that. $10,000 less, but they don't want it because they want a little bit more than everybody else that lives around them. Solomon says what he saw was that all the work, all the achievement, all the success springs forth from a person's envy of their neighbor. And I think what Solomon would say to us today is that every one of us, every person who's here today, to some degree, to some fashion, you wrestle and struggle with this green monster called envy. Now, those of you that are baseball fans, you know last week I talked about the Pittsburgh Pirates and how they were going to kill the Cubs. And today we might get swept. And I'm envious of the Cubs. And there is a wall at a particular baseball field called the Green Monster. Where's that at? Boston. And there is this envy that people have. If you've ever seen them bat and they hit the ball left field and it would have been over any other wall in any other ballpark, but not the green monster. And people get envious of that place. It's one of the seven deadly sons. And for many of us, we hide it within us. Now in your program, as Jen was telling you, if you, in your program, there is a reading plan. And I really want to encourage you this week, Monday through Friday, five to ten minutes, you pull that out and you read it so that you grow in things toward God and you grow out of things that are not of God, like envy. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at this green monster, envy. But not just the fruit of envy what grows out of envy, but what I want us to look at is the, the actual root. What is the root when it comes to envy? Like, what is the thing beneath the thing? If envy is up here and we see it, what are the roots that are just underneath that? And the first thing beneath it is this concept called scarcity. Scarcity. So what's first kind of beneath envy is scarcity. When we are people who are driven by scarcity, we believe there is not enough to go around. We've got to get ours, so we work our tails off because there isn't enough to go around. That's why people work more and they take overtime, because there's not enough to go around, so I better get mine. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, well, Chris, it is true, there's only one quarterback on the varsity team. And there's only one beauty pageant winner. You ever see the runner-up? Horrible, you know, just horrible. Not good. Not good. Because there's only one. And the valedictorian high school graduations will be coming, and there's only one. And a CEO, there's only one. So to some extent, you're right. But when you live your life driven by scarcity, you begin to think, Not only is there not enough to go around, but you find yourself having your identity connected to what you lack. Your identity actually becomes what you lack, not what you have. And people get very confused about this. And they get obsessed and fixated on what they don't have. I'm sure none of you, because you're all holy people here today, But have you ever had a hard time celebrating when somebody else did real well? Like someone else, a co-worker gets a promotion and you don't? How many of you go up and like, hey, great job, man, way to go. You just took two grand out from my family. I appreciate it, you know? Like if you were honest, that's all you do, right? They define themselves by what they lack. And when somebody gains or wins or they're promoted, this is what a person who's envious is like. They go, I've lost something. 
If they win something, something good happens to them, then that means that I've actually lost. Now let's be honest. Does that describe any of you? If you're in sales, I was just talking to a buddy of mine a couple weeks ago. Top six. He's pharmaceutical sales. Top six. They all get to go on this big trip to Italy. He was number nine. Envious, envious. They got on the plane. They flew out. Uh, Not good. That describe you? Do you define yourself by what you primarily, primarily lack, neglecting what you have? And do you believe that you will lose when other people gain? And you got to sit at that for a while. Because I think a lot of times we always think it's somebody else who's envious. But we got to sit and wrestle with it ourselves. Scarcity. What's below that? Well, there's this theory in the ancient Near East called the theory of limited good. This is what it looked like. So right underneath scarcity is limited good. And in the Near East, during the Old Testament times, what they actually believed that there was only so much good to go around. The gods only gave so much good. And so if there was a region or a city or a neighborhood that had good, there was only so much good that would actually be taken there. So when Jesus actually came on the scene and he comes to them, there's an interesting verse that says, and Jesus was not welcomed in his hometown. Why wasn't he welcomed? Because prophets weren't welcomed because they were going to take the good. You see, if a good person comes into your vicinity, that person's going to get all the good. And so that means everybody else is going to get less of the good. And so they would run the person out of town. They would level that person down to get them to their own reality. That's why when you read the New Testament, you hear them say, now, is that the carpenter boy? Why do they say that? They want him out because Jesus is going to take too much of the good. And if someone was successful in business, if they were successful with their family, with wealth, with their flocks or their herds, people wanted to get them out because it meant that the gods would not have enough goodness to pour out on everybody. And the rest of the community would be left there and they would be like, we got to do whatever we can to get them out because they're going to steal our good. Get rid of the prophet. Now, question, do you ever find yourself giving in to this theory of limited good? That there's only so much good to go around, and if somebody gets it, that means I don't have it. You see, the envious person, when a person is blessed and something is going well in their life, they're not ones to go up and go, way to go, man, give them a high five. No, 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 no. They're taking my blessing because there's only so much blessing to go around. And what they honestly believe is that there really is only so much good to go around. And if they have it, that means they're taking some of mine. There was an interesting book that came out a couple of years ago called The Language of Flowers. And basically what the author did was they had a word for each flower. So, for instance... If you had uh, a rose as a flower, if there was a rose, there would be a word connected with the rose. And what would that word be? If you get a rose, money, right? No, I'm joking. Just <laughs> Guys are like, no, it's money. You know, when it comes to roses, it's money. No, it's love, right? Love. Now, what do you think envy was? The blackberry bush. Envy was the blackberry bush. It's, any of you ever seen a blackberry bush before? It just has these huge thorns on it, and it can grow, and it will take over anything that it's, that's in its path. Anything you can imagine, any tree, any plant, it will just take stuff over, and it will choke everything else around it so that it can grow. I was looking this week on Google at 
different blackberry plants and uh, to see that kind of choking growing out of control if they're not contained. And I saw this picture. That's a blackberry plant that choked out a car. Choked out a car. Now, this is envy. It chokes out everything around it because it believes that there is a limited good. You actually go, man, if that guy's getting blessed, if something well is going, if something's going well for him, then it's being taken from me. So what I have to do is I have to decide that I'm going to choke it out. I'm going to level that person down. I'm going to let them know they're not as good as they think they are. I'm going to take it back. And you see, that's what's so unique about envy is that it chokes things out. You know what envy does too? Envy actually creates this thing called injustice. You ever do that before? There's an injustice happening to me because that person is having a whole bunch of good things done for them. And we start telling people around us how how much our life is unjust and everybody else's. They got the job. They got the great marriage. They got what? And there's this injustice that's happening to me. And we take this weight and this responsibility upon ourselves and what we do then is we want to get that person and choke them out and bring them back to reality. That's what gossip is, right? <laughs> you showing me a person that gossips, you know what I'll show you? A person that's envious. Because if they can talk about somebody else and they can put them down and they can kind of uh, level everything out, then they feel better about themselves and gossip does that all the time. What about judgment? What about slander? It does the same thing. At the core, it's simply saying there's not enough good to go around, so what I've got to do is I have to put the other person down around me, and I'll bring them down. And when I bring them down, I actually feel a little bit more lifted up. I feel better. I feel stronger. So you understand scarcity, and then there's this concept of theory of limited good. Finally, is this concept, why not me? Why not me? Like, why them, and why not me? If you had a terminal illness, what would the question be? Why me, right? Why me? Envy does the opposite. What envy does is says, why not me? Why not me? Why are they getting all the good stuff and why not me? Why don't I deserve the good stuff? Why don't I deserve the promotion? Why don't I deserve the great marriage? Why don't I deserve the salary increase? Why do they deserve it and why not me? And underneath all of that is this entitlement that says, I think I deserve it, and I don't think that other person does. I deserve it, the other person doesn't. Now, ladies, let's get real. How many of you have ever said this? Why can she fit into a size of three pair jeans? Why not me? Just keeping it real. And then the summer comes, you know, like the next summer comes, and you notice that she can't fit in the size three jeans anymore. And what's your approach? Not like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. this is you. Yes! <laughs> like, finally! Right? And then when they get pregnant, you don't go, oh, how, how's the pregnancy going? How's... How's, you know, the baby? How you feeling? You're thinking, they look a lot bigger than me. <laughs> and guys, <laughs> I 
You ever asked this question before? Why does he get to drive a Ram truck 2015? Every year he gets a new Ram truck. And then one day you hear that he was in a wreck and you don't ask, you know, did he die or something? You just go, how bad was the truck? And they go, oh man, it was total. And you're like, yes. And he wasn't hurt. Oh, okay, whatever, you know. And then you're so excited because then you watch this person have to get a rental car. And you're hoping that it's going to be like, if you're a father, you know, with young kids, a minivan. So that you have to drive this stinking minivan all around and people are waving at you. And there's the smell of the dried up milk from the back, you know. And you're just like, finally, now you're dealing with what the rest of us have. Well, when we have moments, when we're asking the question, why not me? What we're really doing is creating a competition. We create a rivalry. You see, folks, I've realized I don't have enemies, but envy doesn't need an enemy. All it needs is a threat. People who will threaten the good, people who will threaten something that I desire, people who threaten what I think I deserve, that I'm entitled to. Why not me? But underneath that is really the biggest question that is at the root of envy. And it's this question. Why not me, God? Why not me, God? And this is why we don't like to talk about envy. Because if you go deep, 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 all the way down to the root, the tension of envy is that you have a frustration with God. And you resent God's goodness in other people's lives and you ignore God's goodness in your own life. You begin to look out and you say, why are those people being blessed? Why is that person's marriage succeeding? Why is that person getting the promotion? Why does that person have these special abilities and strengths? Why, God, does this person have it and I don't? And yet we never really want to ask that question. But at the heart of envy, Solomon says this, envy will rot your bones. Envy will rot your bones. That's why when people are going through different physical ailments where their bones are rotting, I often kind of wonder how much of that had to do with envy throughout their life. Envy will rob you of satisfaction. It will rob you of joy. It will rob you from the inside out. And so what we do is we hide it. We hide it within. We keep those questions to ourselves and we give the evil eye to people and we gossip about them and we put them down and we try to keep it all Intact, And Solomon says, I've seen it all. And when it all comes down to your work and your achievements and your successes, it springs from one person's envy of another. Now, the heart of envy, you have to understand, really comes down to your worldview. Whatever view that you have of the world is what will create envy. And for many of us, when we ask the question, why not me, God? Like everybody else, why not me? Even if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. There are moments that you're asking yourself, why not me? Why are all the good things happening to everybody else? They're getting the big house, the nice cars, everything else. Why not me? And we get fixated on that. And everything else in our world becomes clouded. If you would, I'd like you all to try something with me. It worked in the first celebration. That doesn't necessarily mean it'll work in this one, but you're smarter than they are, so I think it will. So if you take your hand like this and put your thumb just out in front, and I want you to just put this about a foot in front of you, and I want you to focus on your thumb. Okay, just focus on your thumb. Keep focusing. Now, you have 20-20 vision on your thumb right now. Regardless of your eyesight, you've got 20-20 vision on that. 
But what do you notice about everything else around you? What is it? It's blurry. It's cloudy. And folks, okay, some of you are like, I'll do this for the rest of the time. This is better than what you've been talking about. (laughs) You see people that are just like standing there. I'm like, dude, the illustration's over, you know. And Hey, if you want, go ahead, go for it. Okay, okay. But that's what envy does, folks, is that if we get so focused on envy, we only think of the good that's being taken away from us and the rest of everything around us. What happens? It gets cloudy. It gets blurry. We don't, we're not thankful for anything else because we're just so focused in on what I don't have. Go ahead, answer it. Whoever <laughs> We have a big sign that says, turn your phones off, you know? I mean. All right, we're, all that was screwed up, so I don't know. What all right, let's go to postures. So this is the thing. All of us, as we go through life, we have different postures. And Solomon says that there are three postures that we have. The first one is envy. And this is what envy looks like. It's two hands where we're grabbing from the things that we don't have and we want to keep it for ourselves. Or we gossip about somebody else so that we feel better. And it looks like this. That's what envy looks like. So I want to challenge you this morning to not only think about this phrase that we're going to put up on the board, but for you to actually begin to start believing it. And it says this. Even when I don't get what I want, I still believe God is good. Let's go ahead. Let's say this out loud together, okay? Even when I don't get what I want, I still believe God is good. Now, the reality is some of you are like, I'll say whatever you want, but I don't believe it. I don't believe that at all. We believe that there's limited good. There's only so much to go around that is good. And if you're there, if you believe that there's only so much good to go around, this is a question that I want to ask you this morning, and it's this. Do you, or does God, work for you? Does God work for you? That's the question. Does God work for you? Because the reality is that for some of us, that's what we think. We believe that God is this genie in the bottle that if we rub it enough, that God will do something. And if God doesn't do something, we look at God then and we say, well, you weren't good enough. Folks, we're his children. We are his disciples. God doesn't work for us. But when you have an evil eye and when you have this limited view of God's goodness... What will always come out of that is envy. The first church that I pastored was in Flora, Indiana. And I've told you before that there were more hogs than people uh, there. And so uh, all the churches were not big churches by any means, except for one. And there was one church that was big. And it was the only church that had a billboard. It was called Jubilee Fellowship. And every time that you were on State Road 18 and you're driving into Flora, Indiana, you would see this big billboard that would say Jubilee Fellowship. And this was the only church in the whole community, too, that had more than one pastor. Like every other church, man, we're doing it all by ourselves. We're working really hard. Just one pastor for the whole church, but not Jubilee because they were the biggest church in the community. And you know what? It made me sick. (laughs) Made me sick to my stomach. And this church was the only church in the whole community that had a band. Every other church uh, that was in the community uh, thought that bands and especially drums were of the devil. Just saying. 
And people, like they seemed to flock to Jubilee. On a daily event, they would have baptisms. The daily event at the church I pastored was funerals. It's a very big difference, folks. And they had this ministerial association that they would get all the pastors together, and we had to play nice, and we had to do nice things for the community. But whosoever church it was at, they would always ask the question, how are things going at your church? And every single time the pastor at Jubilee was asked, he would go, oh, it's jubilant. And every time the question was asked of me, I was like, it is discouragement. You know what I mean? Just discouraging. And I noticed that each time I would get around this pastor, Pastor Jeff, I just started to resent what he had. And I started asking, God, why not me? Like, why not me? You see, I believe that there was a limited amount of good. And if good things were happening to Jeff and Jubilee, then it means that it was taking away from the church that I was pastoring. And I became very envious and critical of him. And I remember talking about him, talking bad, things that now I look back and I think, what a jerk. Like, what a jerk he was. And God must have been onto that too because one day I was praying and I said, God, if there's any sin in my life that I can't see, would you show it to me? And all of a sudden, I just wasn't an audible voice, but just in my spirit, just felt this sense envy. I'm like, I'm not envious of anyone. I'm a good guy. Just ask me, God, I'll tell you. I'm good. And it was envy. And I, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, And God taught me something on that day. He said, rather than looking at envy, why don't you look at thankfulness, the good things you have. Don't ignore my goodness in your life. And from that day until this day, almost every single day, I spend time just thanking God for small things, big things, anything, just letting me know how thankful I am. And I really do try to remember that. Because envy doesn't want that to happen. This is what envy will say. Forget that list. Don't write down the things you're thankful of. Just think of what you don't have. Remember, you don't have this, you don't have that, and they do. God's holding back from you. And folks, this is what envy looks like, and it can choke out life. Well, Solomon's up there, he's noticing all this going on in this city and he's like man there's a lot of people like this but then he noticed something else and in verse 5 it says this fools fold their hands and ruin themselves and this is a picture of indifference and this is what it looks like hands crossed I'm just indifferent I sit on the sidelines I don't get involved in the game because I'm indifferent And they sit with their hands crossed. These are people who play it safe. They love to play it safe. And Solomon says, you're a fool if you do that. And you will ruin yourself in the process. With a posture of indifference, basically what you're saying is that God doesn't want to use me. You're not providing for yourself. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting on the sidelines. You ruin yourself when you're indifferent. So there are some people in this world that are envious. And they want to choke out the life of other people and put them down and gossip about them and and try to make them level. That's what envy is. And then there are other people who don't want to do that at all. They don't want to do anything. They just sit on the sidelines. Arms crossed. Whatever. And this posture is just as deadly. Some sit on the stands. You know why people cross their arms and they sit on the sideline? Because they're afraid to be brave. 
Because if you're brave, you've got to take a risk. You actually have to put your hands out and you have to get into the game to do whatever it is. For some of you, that's a God thing. You've sat on the sidelines for a long time for what it is with God. You just play it safe. And God's like, do you want to get in the game, though? Because if you get in the game, it's so much more fun. Life changes. They're afraid to be brave because what if the gifts and talents I have aren't enough? And, you know, there's some people that are more gifted and talented than I am. I mean, Pastor Jeff from Jubilee was more than me. Maybe I should just sit on the sidelines. They don't reach out to anybody else who's far from God. They don't want to hear my story. I'm not a good communicator. I'll just sit on the sidelines with my arms crossed. Safe. You know what else people are really good that sit on the sidelines and cross their arms up? Criticism. Because if you sit on the side, you got your arms crossed, you can criticize anyone and everyone that you want, and you just are there. So envy is choking, indifference is folding your arms, but Solomon gives one more picture of life that he calls us to live in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6. It says this, Better to have one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And here, Solomon says, this is the best option that you could choose. One hand that's filled with tranquility. God's peace, his purpose, his love in your, in, in your life. And then you have another hand that is free and open to do whatever God asks you to do. That you could actually have the peace of God and the assurance of God in one hand and then another hand that is reaching out and blessing other people. One hand that has peace and his foundation and another hand that's being generous. One hand that has his peace and tranquility in your life and another hand that is serving other people. One hand that has his peace and purpose and another hand that gives high fives to people all the time and says, way to go, way to go. And so my question for you this morning is, what is your posture? Is it clenched fist? And if the truth were known, you're, you're envious? Because you don't have what someone else has? And if that's you, I would challenge you today, just surrender it to God. Don't go through life like this. Surrender it to Him. And then there's some of you that you just have your arms crossed. You're sitting on the sidelines. You're criticizing everybody else, but you're not in the game yourself. And again, what I would say is just surrender that to God. Give it to Him. Today, God wants you to surrender both of those positions. And He wants you to take on this sense of His purpose and His plan and his peace and tranquility in your life, and another hand that is free to serve and do the good that he would have you to do. So Derek's going to lead us in a song called Surrender in just a moment, but I'm going to give you guys a gift that some of you never take. Your entire life is metal to the pedal. You're always going, 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 going. And I'm going to give you just a minute to have a moment with God. And if you're like, I'm not even sure about this whole God thing, that's okay. Just you can sit, count the lights if you want, you know, whatever. But for some of you, if you really want to have a moment where you can connect with God, I just challenge you to ask him, God, what's the posture that I have right now? Is it this? Is it this? Is it choking? Is it indifference? Or is it a sense of tranquility, of peace, of satisfaction, a 
but being firm with who God is and living it. And so ask him, what is it? And if it is this, or it is this, surrender it to him, confess it to him, allow him to do a different healing in your heart this morning. So let me give you a moment if you want to just close your eyes and and just ask him, what posture, God, am I in? And then to surrender it to Christ today. God, for some of us today, we walked in and we would have said, I don't have any envy in me at all. But then through your spirit, you showed us. And so God, would you help us today to surrender that to you? To have open hands surrendered to you. There's enough good, God. There's enough great to be passed throughout all people in this place, all people in this world. And for some of us, God, we've just been sitting on the sidelines with our arms crossed. And we've been playing it safe. And you're challenging us today to get in the game, to step out in faith, to be used in this church, to be used in our city. And so we surrender that to you. And God, maybe it's something totally different. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would help people to surrender today. So that your name would be great and people would be set free. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand and we'll uh, close with this song.
get to celebrate five people who have surrendered all to Christ. To the one who knows them best and loves them most. These aren't perfect people. These are just people who know that when they surrendered their one and only life, that life actually made sense. It actually made more sense when they did this than the life that they lived before. And so we have five people getting baptized today, uh, surrendering their life. I'd like you to check out this uh, video here on the side. It took a while for me to clear my head and see all the grace and love you had before me. It was a big charade, thought all my plans were made, but all the while it was just me in my way. invite the prayer team to come up, but you know, honestly, folks, that's why I do what I do. I don't necessarily do it for Sunday mornings when there's a bigger crowd and there's a bigger spotlight and all that. I do it for lives that say I'm willing to be changed. And I I know that Christ is the only one who can do that for me. And I felt prompted this week that for some of you, maybe today's the day that you're ready to make that change. That you've never been baptized before, but like you're saying, man, today's my day. I've been like this so much. I've been just sitting on the sidelines, just watching life go by, and I want to get in your great game, God. And so, if anyone wants to get baptized, you're like, dude, I ain't got a swimsuit, you know? We've got shorts, we've got t-shirts, we bought towels, we got anything and everything for you. With a repentful heart of saying, God, I can't do it on my own, I want you to, you could do it today. And if you want to do that, over to the right, she's got her hand up right now, is Cheryl. And uh, she's short, so she has to kind of do it. But if you want to do that, that'd be great. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you want prayer for anything, they would love to pray with you. And uh, let's go baptize some change lives. Sounds good? All right. Have a great week, guys.